Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.06 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is, oh, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I keep forgetting. Hell, dude, this is 2.07 of bitcoin and i'm recording it a day before and the time space time continuum has got to me yet one more time what can i say guys today is a carnival of stupid uh denticoin is apparently still not only alive not only is it alive but they have this radical booth set up at some conference i saw a picture of it today and it's nice I mean, it's a nice booth. It's big. It's like, it's like a space. It's like, it looks like it's like walking into a small store and that store was designed by somebody who is paid big bucks to design spaces. So it's like color coordinated. It's got freaking like backlit, you know, signage. It's got like, I don't know, man, it's, it's nice looking. Which sucks because Denticoin is, well, it's Denticoin. What the hell are you going to do? But it's a little, it, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a, a cue from BTC Sessions here who we were going back and forth about this. And he says that it's a little bit, it's a little bit impressive. A little bit impressive that, that Denticoin still exists. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with, uh, with Benny's, uh, proclamation there because it is a little impressive but it it is it still represents the carnival of stupid that we all find ourselves in so let's start off with some good news right so this is morning roundup one uh the daily hodl staff writing for the daily hodl because they never really apparently like their people enough to name them by name i mean uh, some person wrote this or or a group of people. Why you can't put their names on it? I don't know, man. I, I don't get it. But February 27th, Daily Hodel staff is writing $178 million in Bitcoin was sold through payments giant Square in the fourth quarter of 2019. Whoa, so their numbers just hit. Square, the mobile payment services provider founded, founded by Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, says that it sold $178 million in Bitcoin in the last quarter. In a shareholder letter released on Wednesday, Square reports that nearly half of the revenue the company generated from its cash app between November 1st and December 31st is from sales of the leading cryptocurrency. The company says its profit from Bitcoin sales during the period is $3 million, an increase of $1.31 million compared to the last quarter of 2018. In the fourth quarter of 2019, total net revenue for Cash App was $361 million, up 140% year-over-year, and gross profit was $144 million, up 104% year-over-year, excluding Bitcoin, Cash App, 
revenue was 183 million, which was only 96% up year over year. <clears throat> Square started offering Bitcoin buying and selling to Cash App users in the United States in August of 2018. The company's Bitcoin revenue from the Cash App for the third quarter of that year was just 43 million. In September of 2019, Square redesigned its platform interface to help users discover other services. The updated app doubled the number of first-time Bitcoin buyers on the platform. Bye, bye, bye. Yep, uh, bye, bye, bye. I'm telling you, man, that's, I mean, these numbers are, <laughs> these numbers are pretty good. I mean, if, if you're just looking at, at percentage increases uh, in revenue all across the board, this is just, this is some good hopium right here, man. You'll find the best hopium here on Bitcoin Ant. And ahead of Bitcoin having Bitmain announces upcoming Antminer S19. This is Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph on the 27th of February says leading mining hardware manufacturer Bitmain has announced two new upcoming miners, the S19 and the S19 Pro. Uh, according to a February 27th press release, the Antminer S19 will boast a hash rate of 95 terahashes per second and the Pro will offer 90 terahashes per second. However, Bitmain's website claims that the Pro model can produce 110 terahashes per second. I don't know, this is confusing. Both miners will have the power efficiency of 34.5 plus or minus 5% joules per terahash. No release date or price information has been announced for either model. The S19 series will replace the Antminer S17, 60, which is 67 terahashes per second, and the T17, which is 55 terahashes per second, as Bitmain's flagship models. S19 will weigh 3.5 and 4.5 kilograms heavier than their predecessors, weighing 15.5 and 16.5. Wow, kilograms. That is one hell of a weight reduction. Is that right? Holy shit. The S19s will weigh 3.5 and 4.5 kilograms. Oh, I'm sorry. The S19S will weigh 3.5 and 4.5 kilograms heavier than their predecessors. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you guys. Uh, weighing in at 15.5 and 16.5 kilograms total. Woo, good God almighty, that was messing me up. The S17 and T17 are priced at $1,567 and $939 respectively. Bitmain's press copy invokes the upcoming halving, stating, quote, with the price of block rewards to be reduced, the Ant Miner 19 series safeguards miners for future mining. <laughs> You'll say anything. On February the 20th, the NASDAQ-listed crypto mining company Riot Blockchain announced the operational commencement of 4,000 Ant Miner S17Ss, or 17s, sorry. Riot purchased the Ant Miners during December 2019, 3,000 of which were deployed in its Oklahoma City facility during January. The facility is now fully operational, producing 240 pentahashes per second and consuming 12 megawatts of electricity. After years of Bitmain miners dominating hash rate, the company appears to be facing increasing competition from rival MicroBT, who sold roughly 600,000 units of its flagship, 60 terahashes tera per second. What, what's miner M20 in 2019? Outselling Bitmain's S17 last year, MicroBT plans to launch its forthcoming M30 with 88 terahashes per second capability, signaling fierce competition between the two companies 
during 2020. I would love to see those dudes brawl in the Roman Coliseum to the death with animals. That would be bitching, dude. Lawsuit, oh God, lawsuit that Ripple says could tank hobo wine will move forward, judge rules. This is also the Daily Hodel staff writing on February the 27th. A federal judge is greenlighting the much-publicized unregistered security lawsuit against Ripple. Bradley Sostak is accusing the company of illegally selling XRP, or otherwise known as hobo wine, as an unregistered security. Ripple claims XRP is not a security and says the claims are unsubstantiated. No, they are not. It's a security, guys, and you sold it illegally. The company filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, saying that even if XRP was a uh, security, any lawsuit on the issue would violate the statute of limitations and should have been filed within three years of the 2013 initial offering of XRP. God, this is just a this this talking point is ancient history at this point. Sostak's legal team argues that the statute of limitations is invalidated by the fact that Ripple continues to sell the digital asset. Now, District Judge Phyllis J. Hamilton has determined that Ripple, quote, did not make their first bona fide public offering of XRP before August 5th, 2016, three years prior to plaintiff's filing of his, of his federal securities claims in this action on August the 5th, 2019, according to the order. Says the judge, quote, while defendants did acknowledge various 2013 offers and sales in their May 2015 settlement with the USAO, the sales activity identified in that statement does not show that defendants targeted the general public when offering to sell XRP. Instead, the activity identified <clears throat> in that agreement either shows that defendant attempted or consummated particular transactions with specific third-party individuals or entities or generally refers to the existence of defendants' sales activities without defining the scope of the market for such sales, end quote. Ripple says the lawsuit could damage the hobo wine market. The company has argued in the past that classifying hobo wine as a security could destroy the third largest cryptocurrency's entire marketplace. Good, I hope it burns, and I hope it's painful. The company's legal team has filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, quote, we, we, uh, I'm sorry, quote, were so stack allowed to belatedly challenge the classification of XRP, it would not only threaten to eliminate XRP's utility as a currency, but it would upend and threaten to destroy the established XRP market more broadly. <laughs> a market involving over 500 billion in trading over the last two years, potentially wiping out all the value held by the alleged thousands of individual hobo wine holders around the world, many of whom no doubt disagree with Sostak's claim that XRP is a security. <laughs> End quote. The judge also dismissed claims of personal liability against Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse and claims of false advertising from Ripple. A claim that Ripple violated California state law was also dismissed, granting the plaintiffs 28 days to refile that portion of the lawsuit in the state. So it looks like she threw out some stuff that she probably sh th shouldn't have thrown out, but this entire damn thing is going forward anyway. And this whole this, the, the Hobo Wine's argument that uh, they are past the statute of limitations is bullshit because they keep selling it. Every time they sell it, they reset that clock. And in fact, it wouldn't surprise me if this wouldn't open them up to several different lawsuits, every single one of which can be activated by the fact that they sold 
uh, you know, more hobo wine yet again on this date and then again on this date. And those would be possibly to, I mean, at this point they've opened the, the liability that they've opened themselves up to is mind boggling. But as we've also seen the, when these people, you know, get in trouble with the SEC, like EOS did, they raised $4 billion and they paid a pittance. They, I think it was like their fine was less than 1% of their entire raise. Now, if I could raise $4 billion and hand over like Four million or whatever, maybe you know, forty million dollars in fines. I would do that every day of the week and twice on Sunday because that's just good business at that point. If if I know I'm just if I know I'm going to be able to keep legally because that's money laundering right there. At that point, when EOS did that shit, when they got handed that fine and they paid it, that legitimized all of the money that they stole. It legitimized everything. So I wouldn't put it past this crap, or I wouldn't put that crap, I wouldn't put it past uh, this judge and this entire thing to end up going the way of an SEC where it's a slap on the wrist and it completely legitimizes the outright theft that Brad Garlinghouse, the Ripple team, and freaking hobo wine holders that are chilling their bags are all complicit in. Because that's just it's a it's a ridiculous state of affairs, and it just becomes laughable. It's becoming laughable when these things go to trial because it's more it becomes more and more likely that it's a slap on the wrist. And at that point, the only reason that makes me not selling a Nunya business coin is simply because I like sleeping at night and I don't want to destroy people's lives. That's about as good as I can get there, Marie Hulliet or Hewlett is writing for Cointelegraph. Binance joins blockchain network for cross-industry KYC data sharing. God, geez, the, the spy network is just growing exponentially. This was written on February the 27th. Top cryptocurrency exchange Binance has partnered with public blockchain protocol Shift Network as it readies itself to comply with Financial Action Task Force regulations. The Shift Network was designed to provide a decentralized solution for crypto industry players to fulfill global compliance standards, including FATF's travel rule. In a statement shared with Cointelegraph on February the 27th, Binance Chief Compliance Officer Samuel Lin said that until the creation of the Shift Network, there was no existing infrastructure by which firms could comply with the new FATF rules. Oh God, tell me. Please tell me that they are not using the travel rule and the AMD L5 and KYC and know your customer as a marketing ploy to create new worthless shit networks. Please, please, for the love of God, tell me that this is not the case. Please, please. You know who's behind Bitcoin? Putin. Okay, I had to, had to just like, had to knock that one out. Okay. No, because that's what it kind of sounds like. Nobody, I mean, my God, think of uh, computer viruses. There's, it's not too far, it's not too far of tinfoil, from tinfoil hattery to say that the viruses were actually created by the companies that then, then came along as antivirus stuff like McAfee and, and all that stuff. That I mean, there's a, there's a theory that the viruses, you know, not a... 
maybe the first viruses weren't, but there's the theory is, is that as these new uh, companies came online, that they were actually producing viruses so that their existence could be continuous and they could continuously get revenue by providing you the security. It's sort of, it's sort of like, you know, paying uh, uh, protection money to the mafia. If you don't, it's those same people that burn your house down. It's freaking ridiculous. And quite frankly, this, this sounds a lot like that. I guess I should just go ahead and continue. As part of the FATF's <clears throat> updated guidance for virtual asset service providers issued last summer and set to come into force this June, the controversial travel rule requires VASPs to collect and share know your customer information during transactions. Shift advisors and former FATF Executive Secretary Rick McDonald said that the partnership, quote, should help to move this industry to the next level when it comes to effectively interfacing Oh, God, with regulators, adding that, quote, other exchanges would be well advised to participate in federations that practically address global compliance requirements, particularly the FATF's travel rule. Schiff seeks to encourage crypto businesses to implement an industry-wide solution to the FATF's requirement by using its identity passporting, database bridging, and data attestation infrastructure. It's open source technology designed to comply with both FATF guidelines and the European Union's GDPR data privacy law seek to maintain full use of decentralized networks and to establish secure data sharing principles applicable across multiple jurisdictions. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Shortly after the travel rules finalized, FATF Secretariat Tom Nalen told Cointelegraph in an interview that there remained, quote, work to be done by the private sector to develop a technical system that is capable of implementing this rule, end quote. He stressed, quote, we don't want FATF to sit down and tell technical details of exactly how companies should comply with it because that would quickly become out of date, end quote. Binance's earlier partnership with Shift is perhaps particularly significant in light of an incident last summer. In August, the exchange fell victim to a hacking extortion heist that saw the miscreant allegedly gain possession of a huge chunk of the firm's KYC data, over 10,000 personal photos. While doubt was cast on the authenticity of the allegedly leaked data, Binance said at the time that the images released thus far could be dated back to a period when the exchange was making use of a third-party service provider to process its KYC verifications. With some accusing the exchange of attempting to deflect blame, independent crypto author and analyst Sam Town told Cointelegraph he believes that KYC data should be and is currently handled in-house by major exchanges. So again, I don't, you know, I don't think it should escape our, I don't think it should get outside of our vision to, to, you know, to think that it's possible that entire, I don't know. Again, it's like, all I can think of is the antivirus companies and companies that are, you know, I don't, I don't know, man, it's, this is really mafia-esque. It's just, uh, and the fact that Binance has just fallen right. It's just the extension of the spy network. And it's, and it's done so in a way that the people are going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars doing it. And it has, while it does have something to do with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, it's literally a way to fleece an entire new industry out of cash because of regulation. And I'm sorry, but... Smacks a lot of fascism right there, dude. 
Oh boy, our 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 favorite person. Well, not our favorite person. That's somebody else. He'll come along later. Steven Seagal is charged by the SEC for promoting a 2018 ICO. <laughs> Coin Telegraph Andrew Shinevko is writing on the February 27th that the Securities and Exchange Commission has charged actor Steven Seagal for promoting an initial coin offering without disclosing that he was paid for it. He was ordered to pay back over $330,000 to the commission. In March of 2018, Steven Seagal was contracted by ICO project Bitcoin 2Gen B2G to promote the sale of his so- on his social media channels as well as appearing as a brand ambassador in the project's marketing materials. While he was promised a quarter million dollars in cash and 750,000 in B2G tokens, the February 27th disclosure by the SEC maintains that he only received 157,000 from his promotional deal. The actor agreed to settle charges with the commission, promising to pay approximately $330,000 to the commission. The sum corresponds to double the amount he received from the project, plus 16,000 of prejudgment interest. The SEC specifically targeted Seagal for failing to disclose that his endorsement of the project was paid for, which is a direct circumvention of its regulations. Quote, celebrities are not allowed to use their social media influence to tout securities without appropriately disclosing their compensation, noted Christina Littman, chief of the SEC Enforcement Division Cyber Unit. I'm going to stop right there just to ask a question. At what point are you a celebrity? I mean, is is there like a cutoff? Like, okay, you've made this many movies, or you were on, you you were in one movie, but yeah, you know, there are radio personalities that have never been in any movies. And I, at what point are you a celebrity? At what point does a person fall under this particular rule from the SEC that celebrities are not allowed to use their social media influence? Please define a celebrity. Am I a celebrity? No, I, I wouldn't consider myself a celebrity because about a hundred people, you know, know who I am or, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's not like this show is like burning down charts or anything like that. But I mean, what if I was half as successful as Peter McCormick? Would that make me a celebrity? Is Peter McCormick a celebrity? If he were to promote a shit coin, would he come under the SEC, this SEC rule? I don't know, man, this is, that kind, that kind of wording always disturbs me because I'm like, well, you can just make that equal whatever the hell you want it to equal. But be that as it may, the actor is known for several high-profile action films released between the late 80s and the early 2000s, including Under Siege, The Patriot, and Above the Law, Siegel is a Buddhist, claiming in 1997 to have been given the title of Tolku, the reincarnation of the Buddhist Yama. Or is that Lama? I don't know. The the I's and the L's in this font are almost impossible to tell. Uh, By a Buddhist high priest. For this reason, he was announced by the B2G project as a Zen master. Seagal currently lives in Moscow, Russia. I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. And he acquired both Siberian and Russian citizenship. In 2018, he became a special envoy to the Russian government to promote friendly relations with the United States. In 2013, he was a special guest of Ramzan Kadrov, the governor of the Chechen Autonomous Republic. Kadrov is known as for his strongman attitude and alleged human rights violation. I wonder if he got Steven Seagal to crack some heads. 
Because as, as funny as Steven Seagal is for getting in trouble and being all in this bag of, of garbage with, with shit coinery, I, I wouldn't go up against his ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, even if it's all fake in the movies, he'd still probably kick your ass out on the street. But be that as it may, this is this story I'm reading. I'm reading y'all this to illustrate something. When was the last time you even heard of Bitcoin to Jen? otherwise known as Bitcoin spelled with two I's. How long ago was that? And before I read you this, or before you saw any headlines today of Steven Seagal being charged, who remembers Bitcoin with two I's? Only the bag holders of that shit coin remember Bitcoin to Jen. I guarantee it. Why is this important? Because there's Bitcoin and then there's shitcoin. And if you're holding a bag of anything other than Bitcoin, this is your fate. That your bag will only get recognition after a year. When the guy or guys or people that had any hand in creating it or promoting it are dragged before the SEC so that they too can get a slap on the wrist. Cyber criminals target Bitcoin wallets and data hack. Guys, be careful out there. Cyber criminals are stealing people's data from their crypto wallets and selling it on the dark web. This is actually kind of weird, but whatever. Decrypt.co's Robert Stevens is writing this February the 27th. Want another reason to go off the grid? Consider Raccoon, a type of malware that steals sensitive information like credit card info and data from cryptocurrency wallets and sells it on the dark web exchange or in exchange for crypto. According to new analysis by CyberArk this week, the malware dubbed dubbed an info stealer targets 29 Chromium-based browsers, including Google Chrome, Opera, and Firefox. It was first seen in the wild in April of 2019 and has become popular for its price. It costs $75 per week or 200 bucks per month, as well as for its ability to steal sensitive and confidential information. So it's a subscription model malware. Oh, that's just so wrong. (laughs) Raccoon targets popular crypto wallets, including Ethereum, Jax, Exodus, Bither, as well as wallets from Monero and Ethereum. In addition to credit card and cryptocurrency wallet information, the Raccoon Info Stealer, also known as Mazaho and Raycealer, also can steal login credentials and browser information like cookies, history, and autofill from almost 60 applications. To use it, cyber criminals access a control panel hosted on Tor to launch attacks against their targets of choice. It selects its targets by profiling users' machines when they click on malicious websites or download content from dodgy emails. Then, Raccoon can take advantage of the user's machines to install the system. Raccoon might be the latest system, but it follows in the footsteps of various other malware programs levied against internet users, the vast majority of which involve cryptocurrency at some stage. Since privacy-based cryptocurrencies like Monero make it difficult for authorities to trace users' identities, they're a popular means for cyber criminals. (laughs) Malware attacks against crypto users are common. One malware attack uh, used the Bitcoin blockchain to get at its victims. But even though they're popular, don't worry, they don't always work as well as intended. Yeah, I would just assume that they do work as well as intended. In fact, I would assume that they work better than intended. In fact, I'd go so far as to say you should just assume 
that even that people didn't even write these things, that some alien is writing this shit and they're way better at this crap than we are. Be safe out there, people. Be safe. Let's get into some vitals. BitInfo Charts is telling me that the price of Bitcoin at 10.34 a.m. Central Standard Time on uh, the 2nd uh, or the 27th of February 2020 is $8,874. Looks like I'm going to have a high over at, ooh, that's a close high. Coinbase Pro is the highest I got at 8911 The lowest I got is, in fact, the 8874 340,000 transactions were done in the last 24 hours with about 15,000 transactions being done per hour. 1 million Bitcoin have been sent in the last 24 hours, giving us an average cent per hour of about 44,000 BTC with an average transaction value of 3.1 BTC and the median transaction value of 0.04 BTC. And that's high, man. That's about 377, 378 bucks. Block times are a bit low, 9 minutes and 44 seconds. We have 0.19 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 29 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 1% dip in the hash rate, bringing us down to 108 exahashes per second. And the last time nobody did dick on Bitcoin was sometime on the 27th. Ethereum is at 235, Bcash is at 332, BSV is at 235, Litecoin is at 64. Ethereum Classic is $7.97, and Doge took it on the chin again, bro. 0.0023 is the price. And at 28,000 transactions, it's walking its ass all up and down. Litecoin, let's go to my node and see what it's saying about hash rate. And come on, roll it up, buddy. We got 111 exahashes per second. And we've got a, eh, eh, the mempool is at 16, 17 megabytes, representing about 11,800 unconfirmed transactions. Last 10 blocks are all full. Now, this one, bear with me because I'm gonna I'm looking at Clark Moody Bitcoin. That is bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. I uh, thought I'd give it a shot today because Marty Bent and Matt O'Dell are always blowing the tooting uh, Clark Moody's horn. And it's a pretty slick looking interface. It looks real nice. I wish the font was just a bit bigger. Let's see if it how reactive it is to. Ooh, zooming, uh, its reaction to zooming and uh, zooming in and zooming out actually works pretty damn well. Good job, Clark. Uh, His price is 8,921. Doesn't say where he's getting it, but what's nice is that there's the sats per dollar. 11,210 sats can be had for one stinky, filthy dollar of fiat. Market capitalization is 161 billion. This is neat. The grayscale BTC or the GBTC premium is they're paying 20% more for their Bitcoin. Oh my God, 20% premium. You guys are insane, bro. Insane. Uh, Let's see what other good stuff is on here. Reachable Bitcoin nodes, 10,737. And I, I am one of those. Bitcoin Tor nodes is 1,883. That is not mine because I don't have mine set up on Tor. Bad me. I get it. 
percentage of tour nodes is 17 and a half percent. That seems good. Lightning Network has 851 BTC in it. Uh, let's see. That's about seven and a half million dollars of liquidity. It's it says this says the total nodes is six thousand three hundred. Total channels is thirty four thousand nine hundred ninety five. Uh, the Tor capacity is three hundred and thirty four Bitcoin, and that represents forty percent of the Lightning Network's liquidity is in Tor nodes, of which there are one thousand seven hundred and fifty nine. Now, let's see here. That total or the the total amount of nodes does not represent what I'm going to be telling you on one ml. So there are differences between these things. Let's go ahead and and we'll can that and get into lightning. We've got eleven thousand six hundred twenty three nodes. That's what this says. So who's right? I mean, this is that's a hell of a different number than what we were than what we were just reading. So very, I, like I said, man, just because I tell you numbers doesn't mean necessarily that those are the correct numbers. I'm doing what I can finding information for y'all, but I am at the behest of, well, I'm at the same behest as you guys are. I'm, I'm depending on, on information from third parties, which are security holes, but whatever. We have 36,300 channels that are open and we have, 895 BTC in the network capacity, according to 1ML, that is $7.9 million of liquidity. So there's a difference there. We have 14 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours and only one new channel opened in the last 24 hours. And again, that's what I said a couple of days ago, that only one new channel had opened in the last 24 hours. And I do believe that the same number in percent drop on that is, I think it's the same. This is saying that represents on a day over day basis a 99.01% drop. So there may be some problems with the 1ML uh, uh, website getting its correct information, but that be that as it may, that is gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of Morning Roundup. We'll start with Adrian Zmanzinski. I'm terrible at this. Cointelegraph, a guy named Adrian, writing sometime on the 27th that IT executive at Kiev prosecutor's office illegally mined crypto on office systems. Yeah, he ain't going to be the last government official to figure out that he's getting hosed. In Kiev, Ukraine, uh, investigators have found another example of someone using the systems at their workplace for illicit cryptocurrency mining. The Kiev Prosecutor's Office official Facebook page announced on February the 26th that it included a pre-trial investigation of an unnamed individual in collaboration with the State Bureau of Investigation. The accused miner was an information technology specialist that held executive positions in the state judicial information systems for a long time. According to the prosecutor's office, he illegally used the network equipment and systems to mine crypto with malware installed on their machines. <laughs> That's how they found him. Furthermore, the defendant also allegedly provided placement to third parties on the office's servers in exchange for money. Nice stinky cash. This service reportedly resulted in the machines hosting three online stores and a resource for chopper motorcycle enthusiasts by August of 2018. 
<laughs> Freaking awesome, dude. He is accused of illegal interference with the operation of computers and malware distribution and risks up to six years in prison. The Kiev prosecutor's office did not say how much or of what kind of cryptocurrency the individual managed to mine. In August, the Security Service of Ukraine arrested power plant operators for mining cryptocurrency in the nuclear power plant facility. This was not even the first time the equipment meant for use in the nuclear power industry was misused for crypto mining. Well, duh. In February of 2018, several engineers at the Russian Federal Nuclear Center were arrested for attempting to use one of Russia's largest supercomputers for Bitcoin mining. And I remember all of those stories. Oh my God. You know, it's like, it just, it, it just goes to show. It's like, what happens when you put what, okay. This is what happens when you have the promise of hard money that you know is intri intrinsically, you know that it's better then whatever numbers are represented on that piece of paper they give you at the end of the month, especially in places like Ukraine and Russia, where you're probably barely able to survive on whatever pay you get, of course they're going to mine crypto. Of course. You have them in front of massive computers. Of course they're going to put mining software on those machines. Uh, I almost, I almost did it at Texas tech university. Uh, yeah, yeah it's an admission. <clears throat> I almost did it. What does almost actually mean in this context? I thought about it more than once, but that's it. I didn't like actually download a miner. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. Oh, th and thank God I didn't put honey miner on that thing. Does anybody know where honey miner went? I haven't seen that Diggy the Bear chilling out on, on Twitter for a very long time. A very long time. Uh, clearly, they had some have some issues, uh, but still, haven't seen Diggy the Bear around in a while. Hey, so uh, put Diggy the Bear on a milk carton, uh, use of uh, Photoshop. Maybe I'll get around to it because I haven't seen it, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of worried about Diggy the Bear. Uh, Virgin Galactic Chairman says, buy Bitcoin. And forget about it. Chamath Falafiata. Sorry, dude. I really, I've got nothing against foreign names. I don't have the, the syllables to be able to pronounce them. It's not, I'm not doing it on purpose. I just got to get through them, okay? So Chamath has made a new recommendation about buying Bitcoin, and he strongly disagrees with the Warren of the Buffett. Okay, so Daniel Phillips is writing for Decrypt.co on February the 27th and says, billionaire, venture capitalist and chairman of Virgin Galactic, Chamath, last name here, has just urged everybody to store 1% of their net worth as Bitcoin. Um, during a discussion on CNBC Squawk Box, oh God, uh, Chamath, laid out his opinion on the current state of the economy and the potential cause behind the recent market dip, which saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average fall by $900. Oh, sorry, $900, 900 points. That's points. Amid concerns surrounding the spread of the coronavirus, during his discussion with CNBC, Chamath said that everybody should have 1% of their assets in Bitcoin, arguing that 
the Bitcoin is an uncorrelated hedge against every other financial instrument. This is my favorite when people say the Bitcoin. It's like, oh man, you got the AIDS or something. Ah, it's just terrible, terrible usage of the word. Quote, when you see the amount of leverage the financial industry is running and you think about those dislocations and exogenous things that are happening that you can't predict, there's a lot of risk to the downside, he said. I interpret that as, I think I see an entire flock of black swans upon the horizon. Not just one, a whole shit ton of them. But that's not to say everyone should panic buy Bitcoin. Rather, Chamath opined that investors should gradually acquire a position over some time. Bye, bye, bye! You quietly, over time, accumulate a position, and then you just never look at it again and hope that insurance under the mattress never has to come due. But if it does, it will protect you because that thing will be hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars per coin, said Chamath. American business magnate and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, is among the most disparaging Bitcoin critics in recent years. The Buffett has described it as probably rat poison squared. Sell, sell, sell. And could be found bashing Bitcoin once again just days ago. Quote, you can't do anything with it except sell it to somebody else, Buffett told CNBC. But then that person's got the problem. <laughs> well, he just described 99.99% of the crypto space, people trading their bags of shit to other people who are now holding bags of shit. Bitcoin, however, is not one of them. While he was recently given one Bitcoin by Tron CEO Justin Sun, he later revealed that he had given it to his preferred charity instead of keeping it. Oh, they'll probably do better than you, Warren. Referring to Warren Buffett's pessimistic views on Bitcoin, Chamath branded Buffett as completely wrong and outdated on this point of view. Buffett, no doubt, disagrees. Okay, something to be said about Buffett. He's pretty savvy. I'm sorry, he is actually pretty savvy. Uh, however, I've just come to the I've just come to find out that, as far as it, as far as I can tell, he's not, he never invested in Apple, Google, or some of the other Fang companies, and that's because he's 89 years old. Right? It's not necessarily because he's stupid. One of one of Warren's rules is invest in what you know. He's 89. How much of this shit do you want him to know? So it's not that I'm cutting him a break. It's that I kind of don't, It I don't know. He made a shit ton of money on the stuff that he knew about. After a while, you're going to get to the point where you're like swimming in cash. You don't really know what to do with it. And you just sit on it or give it to Bill Gates and let him, for whatever reason, handle it. Um, and you're... Not it's not necessary for you to climb up that learning curve yet one more time because after a while it's gonna get it's gonna get uh painful, you know, for somebody especially who's like 89. He understood telecoms, you know, back in the day. He understood manufacturing toothpaste and ketchup and stuff like that. You know, I mean, and he he did well. To ask this guy to go in and understand the fundamentals of the stuff that we talk about every day, I don't know, man. We might want to cut the man a little break, but then again, I'm kind of just tired of hearing him cry all the time. But be that as it may, the SEG rejects the latest Bitcoin ETF bid. Gee, who would have thunk that? Updated 
February the 26th. Okay, I'm sorry. This was written on the 26th by Nicholas Day for Coindesk.com. In a filing posted Wednesday, the securities regulator wrote the New York-based Wilshire Phoenix had not proven the Bitcoin market is sufficiently resistant to market manipulation. Wilshire, a newcomer to the financial services industry, first applied for the ETF last summer with NYSE ARCA. Quote, the commission concludes that NYSE ARCA has not met its burden under the Exchange Act and the commission's rules of practice to demonstrate that its proposal is consistent with the requirements of Exchange Act Section 6B-5. And in particular, the requirement that the rules of a national securities exchange be designed to prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices and to protect investors and the public interest, the filing said. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce, known as Crypto Mom in the space, published a dissent writing that the agency applies a heightened standard to Bitcoin products. As an example, she said the SEC had not required surveillance sharing agreements with markets of significant size. An, an argument the agency outlined in its rejection of Bitwise's Bitcoin ETF application. Quote, this line of disapprovals leads me to conclude that this commission is unwilling to approve the listing of any product that would provide access to the market for Bitcoin and that no filing will meet the ever-shifting standards that this commission insists on implying to Bitcoin-related products and only to Bitcoin-related products. She wrote, damn, Hester just bitch-slapped him, man. Good job, honey. Ooh, that's not going to go over well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't don't kill me. I was raised in a different time. What do you expect? The SEC has rejected all previous Bitcoin ETF proposals filed to date. Wilshire hoped to buck the trend by basing its ETF proposal on United States Treasury bonds in addition to Bitcoin. William Hermann Wilshire's managing director previously told Coindesk the funds would automatically rebalance itself in response to Bitcoin's price volatility. Should the cryptocurrency's price fluctuate too much, the fund would invest more heavily into bonds and reverse that position as the price stabilizes. God, that sounds like they're using the treasuries, treasuries as a stable coin. Oh, that's why it's called USDT. They're, they're gonna, I, Tether's going to rebrand to treasury. I'm calling it right here. USDT in the next few years will actually be referring to United States dollars treasury. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to stand by that one. I, I'm, ha- I'm half joking at this point, but I'm going to stand by that one. Uh, somebody do like a tweet of me saying that or something and, and say, remind me tweets and then tweet stamp that son of a bitch because I'll bet you. I'll bet you anything that that's what's going to happen. This automatic rebouncing came as a response to the SEC's previous rejections. The agency rejected a number of Bitcoin ETF applications out of concern. The Bitcoin market is not significant in size and potentially easy to manipulate. Last year, the agency published a rejection order for Bitwise Asset Management's Bitcoin ETF proposal on these grounds. So th- the ETF is is probably, I was about to say never going to happen, but you can never say never. Eventually it will happen. It's just not going to happen anytime soon. And I'm getting the feeling at this point that it's not going to happen unless one thing actually occurs. All the people that have here to date wanted an ETF are going to have to have like some kind of, I don't know, meeting, uh, like their own little mini convention. And they're going to have to get into a room with their suits and figure out a way 
to have a, a singular cohesive argument. And they all put their minds together to build this argument and steel man the living crap out of it so that by the time they're done with the hookers and the blow, that they can come out of that door with a sheet of paper that they can give to anybody and anybody can read it and go, I don't know, man, that's a pretty damn strong argument. Because right now, they're all doing it separately. And if they're, it's sort of that divide and conquer thing. I can just mow your ass down. If, if you're coming over the hill one at a time, it's easy for a sharpshooter to just take your ass out. However, if you come over the hill and you've got a few thousand people and you're only the sharpshooter, you're going to get your lunch handed to you as eventually. That's all I'm saying. So, guys, get in a room and define why it is to these people that the bit that the Bitcoin market is just fine and there's no reason to take a, a, a giant dump on this any anymore. Although that for anybody listening that doesn't want an ETF, I know, I hear you, I really do. I don't know what side I don't know what side I fall on. An ETF would be really easy to get uh, uh, larger sections of the retail market in via the 401k and whatnot like that. But what does it do to the price? I don't know. I don't know. And actually, you know, this whole thing of like, you know, leveraging it against the United States treasuries, it's not a terrible idea, I suppose. I've, I've heard worse, but anyway, so the new ETF is, is dead and buried. And if I had a sound effect for playing taps and I probably should put that on there, um, I'd play it now because <laughs> layer one opens Texas Bitcoin mining operation. Now we've talked about this before, but let's go ahead and talk about it again, because this was only written on the 26th of February by Kieran and Smith for Brave New Coin. While China has long dominated Bitcoin mining, new operations in the United States are poised to pull the industry further west. <clears throat> On the plains of West Texas, Layer 1 technology has started mining Bitcoin with a pioneering model that promises to eventually put U.S. Bitcoin mining on a more equal footing with China. The operation is backed by big names including PayPal founder Peter Thiel and has equally big plans for growth, expecting to scale to 200 megawatts in the coming months to eventually capture 30% of Bitcoin's total network hash rate by the end of 2021. Texas might seem an unlikely location for running power-hungry mining ships, but an abundance of natural gas from fracking and large renewable energy investments from the state have created a glut of electricity. Yeah, well, what looking at my electricity bill and what they're charging per kilowatt hour for my house, I don't see a glut of electricity. I wish there was a glut of electricity, or at least as far as where my power company can tap into because I ain't seeing it, but we'll just go on as layer one CEO, Alexander Liege or legal L I E G L. I'm going to say legal, maybe legal told fortune. The cheapest electricity in the world at scale is in West Texas right now. Damn. That is a bold ass claim, bro. To take advantage of the cheap power in the hot Texas weather layer one has designed a liquid cooling system that lets the chips access affordable energy in warm temperatures. <laughs> warm? Have you been out to the Permian Basin in summer? Yeah. Warm? No. Hot as in lethal temperatures. They that they should say, let's the chips access affordable energy in lethal temperatures. 
this immerses the mining chips in an oil-based coolant, making it possible to overclock them without danger of overheating. In another efficiency measure, layer one is adopting a vertical integration approach that puts the whole mining operation from the creation of ASIC chips to power procurement and cooling under one roof. This effectively makes layer one a one-stop Bitcoin mining shop. With such an efficient setup, Layer 1 hopes to reach the goal of repatriating Bitcoin mining from China and bring it back to freedom-loving Texas. Texas! And several other ambitious mining projects operating in the same region have similar goals in mind. Bitmain launched its Rockdale, Texas-based mining farm in October of 2019, which aims to be the world's largest capacity over... Yeah, but it's like, it. yeah, it. as far as I know, it died. So, and they're not saying anything about that, but whatever. As the Bitcoin network matures and mining grows ever more competitive, we could see these American mining plants chip away at China's dominance over the mining industry. This would make the Bitcoin network more decentralized and alleviate the current concerns that exist over centralization threat of China's mining power. So let's let's say that this wasn't going on in Texas. <clears throat> in fact, let's say... I don't know. Let, let, let's just say that like North America would include Canada in this, that we weren't really given a shit at all, that these companies were just, they didn't exist. They, they weren't trying to take part of, of China's like, you know, they weren't trying to chip quote chip away at their shit. And then all of a sudden we've, you know, started getting wind that the, uh, uh, people's Republic of China started standing on their miners to do stuff like attack the network, reverse, you know, reverse stuff. You know what would happen? Almost overnight, almost overnight, you would see people just jump in. In my opinion, I mean, jump into mining to be because they would be going, oh my God, it's our opportunity. We should have done this shit, you know, a long time ago, but no, you know, you should have planted a tree 20 years ago. Next best time is today. And they would do it. That's why I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the whole Chinese centralization thing because when they start fucking up, if they do, that that's even even then I would normally say it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. I'm not sure I've got an argument for when on this. Uh people that are making, you know, really good money and they know that they're going to stop making that money if uh they jack with the network or jack with that which is making them the money they're not going to do it. And the only way that that could happen is that China just takes over the entire damn thing and puts it under military rule. And if that were to happen, we just build out our shit over here and they can, they'd go sit and spin. I'm not, I'm not worried about centralization in China. One selfish, selfish interests is one of the largest walls to have to punch through, dig under or crawl over that there ever will be. And without a full-blown military intervention all over China, and I think right now, especially, they've got their hands full with other things, you're not going to take control of, of mining for nefarious purposes against the Bitcoin network. I'm sorry, it's just, it's just not going to happen, but we shall see, I suppose. Growth-addicted Asian nations hand out free cash as economies crash. This is Martin Young writing for Bitcoinist on February the 27th. Hong Kong has been hit hard. 
The Hong Kong economy has been battered over the past year or so as protests and rioting gripped the island nation. The coronavirus, or the COVID-19 outbreak, has added to Hong Kong's woes as the country plunges into recession. According to reports, the government has unveiled a budget packed with giveaways, which include a one-time cash handout to its citizens. One of the main features of the annual budget announced this week is a payment of 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is worth 1,280 U.S. bucks, to each permanent resident of the city aged 18 or older. The cash handouts are part of a $15 billion stimulus package, but economists are not convinced that giving away free money is the solution. Crypto industry insider Anthony Pompliano called it insanity, adding, quote, governments are so addicted to growth that they are doing cash giveaways. Binance boss Shengpeng Zhao commented that it is a rare occasion they actually gave it to the people. Quote, usually it's just printed and the people won't see a penny of it, but still unlimited supply. End quote. He added that because the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the USD, they can keep printing more as the Fed does. The general consensus is that all bullish. Oh, well, hold on. The general consensus is that it is all bullish for Bitcoin, which cannot be printed due to its limited supply. Hong Kong is not the only country scrambling, scrambling to keep its economy afloat. Singapore also announced cash handouts in its budget last week, pledging a one-off payment of between $100. Oh, I'm sorry. A, their currency, a hundred worth of their currency which is approximately $71 U.S., and three, 300 uh, of their dollars for residents aged 21 and older. The move comes as part of a stimulus package for over a billion USD to help households cope with expenses. China's economy has been one of the hardest hit, being the epicenter of the outbreak. Decrot, uh, draconian restrictions imposed by Beijing to contain the epidemic continue to hamper both the movement of people and the recommencement of economic activity. According to the SCMP, regional regional authorities have cut or deferred taxes, fees, and social security payments in addition to providing subsidies and rental assistance. They have also asked banks to roll over debt at lower interest rates for businesses and individuals. Jesus. Thailand, whose economy is heavily dependent upon tourism and exports, has urged citizens to take vacations and spend their money on discounted accommodation and services, but has yet to splash the cash. South Korea is also preparing to turn on the fiscal and monetary taps with interest rate cuts while some landlords are cutting rent to tenants to help mom and pop store owners who are struggling to make ends meet. The fallout from the coronavirus outbreak could linger for years and may even induce another global financial crisis. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going to induce it. It's going to happen. It, does it matter how it starts? No, it doesn't, man. This is, I'm telling you, man, it's like, it's a flock of black swans. Flock, for some reason, I'm thinking a flock of seagulls. <laughs> Flock of black swans is on the horizon, in my opinion. But again, it is only my opinion. Now, we're going to end with your daily hit of hopium. How millennials will inherit trillions and buy Bitcoin. Martin Young, writing for Bitcoinist.com, February the 27th, says, There's a lot of antipathy and mistrust over Bitcoin from the current baby boomer generation. 
which largely largely doesn't understand the technology. Millennials, on the other hand, have been brought up with tech and they're about to inherit trillions. Dinky, dirty cash. That's trillions with a T, by the way. According to statistics, an estimated 600 or 60, sorry, 60 trillion dollars in wealth will be passed down from boomers to millennials over the next 30 years. Boomers are defined as being born between 1946 and 1964, so an estimated 10,000 of them turn 65 every single day. Ikagi fund manager Travis Kling posed the obvious question in a tweet. He says, 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day. An estimated 60 trillion of wealth will be passed down from boomers over the next 30 years. Where do you think it's going to go? And then he's got, he's got a, uh, well, he's got a screen cap of square cash purchases of Bitcoin, the graph that just shows it going north. I'm just going to say it, blowing through the North, north Pole, man. Boomers are gener- generally old school investors that prefer traditional assets such as blue chip stocks and commodities. They are risk averse. This can be evidenced by some of the repetitive commentary from some of the boomer characters on crypto Twitter that revel in bashing Bitcoin at every opportunity. Peter Schiff. They do not understand the technology and they don't want to. Most of them have already made their millions. Some have made billions. A generational generational paradigm shift is about to occur. I'm going to hold up right there and remind you of what we were talking about with Warren Buffett. He doesn't need any more money. He doesn't need to spend his time, what time he has left on this planet, trying to sort out the underpinnings of how Bitcoin works. He's never going to like it. Nobody's ever going to convince him of it. It's okay. Warren Buffett doesn't control the world. It's okay that the old man doesn't get it, dude. Just let it go. Let it go. When when Warren Buffett and Peter Schiff bash Bitcoin, don't freak out. Make fun of them. That's that's fine, even though we should probably not be bullies. But if they're going to open their big fat mouths and and espouse the fact that they don't understand this stuff, then, well, shit. Oh, it's, it's just open season, bro. So go after him. <clears throat> Continuing, the global economy is in dire straits. That much was true even before the coronavirus outbreak, but the world is on red alert. Booms and busts are cyclical, but the last big one was in 2008. Back then, housing markets started to fall and banks were over lending, allowing people to take out loans at over 100% of the value of their property. <laughs> God, banks were also engaging in trading profitable mortgage-backed securities backed by home loans as collateral, and they sold to investors. Financial institutions around the world own these mortgage-backed securities, but they were also into mutual funds, corporate assets, and pension funds. Oh, my God. The banks demanded even more, uh, sorry, the banks demanded more mortgages often lending to non-creditworthy people to prop up their profits from the sale of these derivatives. The bubble eventually burst, so to say, that banks caused the last financial crisis is an understatement. That is true. Let's read that again, and I want you to keep the word Ponzi in mind. The banks demanded more mortgages, often lending to non-creditworthy people so that they could prop up the profits from the sale of the derivatives. 
the bubble eventually burst. How the hell is that not a Ponzi? Millennials were born between 1981 and 1996, according to the Pew Research Center. So many have vivid memories and experiences from this global economic crisis. Most of them came of age and entered the workforce facing the height of this recession, and many are now laden with debt. Therefore, a massive distrust of the banking system, which caused this collapse, is prevalent among this demographic. This was highlighted by Satoshi Nakamoto in his now-famous white paper, quote, the central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency, but the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of that trust. Banks must be trusted to hold our money and transfer it electronically, but they lend it out in waves of credit bubbles with barely a fraction in reserve, end quote. It stands to reason, then that a large portion of this wealth will not go into the banking system or old-school assets, but into a technology that is immutable, finite, and can be trusted. Bitcoin. They don't spell it like that, but I like, I like, I like the corn. What, what are you going to do? All right, that's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Well, let's check in with the pain of the daily train wreck, and this one is as painful as it gets. Craig Wright says, Courts will seize BTC with miners' help. (laughs) Adrian Zmudzinski finally got it. Adrian Zmudzinski, writing for the Cointelegraph sometime February 27th. Self-proclaimed Bitcoin creator Craig Wright claims that Bitcoin can and will be seized to accommodate court orders. On February the 26th, Bitcoin influencer Peter McCormick published screenshots showing Wright claiming that the first seizure of Bitcoin by courts will happen this year and won't require private keys. Instead, it will supposedly happen through minor and node coordinating to comply with the court order. He concluded, quote, without keys, BTC will be confiscated. Code is law and courts can mandate patching code. Bitcoin is not encrypted. It is economic. Oh, my God, it's just gibberish. End quote. In the second and last screenshot, Wright asked for a list of firms that lost Bitcoin, such as hacked exchanges. He claimed that he wants to ensure that people get their money back. Starting this year, he said, you see, Bitcoin is easily confiscated, easily returned to the owner. William Shatner, the pop culture star and actor that played Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek series, recently expressed the idea that Wright is not the creator of Bitcoin. He said, ask yourself why someone would claim, claiming to be Satoshi and offer zero proof, either put up or shut up. Shortly afterwards, CZ, the co-founder and CEO of major cryptocurrency exchange Binance, said that Wright is a fraud. Then later, explaining the reason why he said it, he told Coin uh, Telegraph, "Quote: He claims to be the founder of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is a lie. He hurts the credibility of Bitcoin and is a disgrace to our entire industry. So let's let's just kind of talk about this one again without keys." BTC will be confiscated. Code is law and courts can mandate patching code. Bitcoin is not encrypted. It is economic. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. No, 
I'm just, I'm just not. Um, there's your smoldering pot. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. And guys, I'm going to do two of them because we're going to need it after after that one, right? So what do you call a retired miner? Doug. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not writing these jokes so that I can at least laugh at them after I read them and not look like a complete idiot. So here's the here's the the second one. How however, um, Dad says jokes again. I got fired from my job because I kept asking my customers whether they would prefer smoking or non-smoking. Apparently, the correct terms are cremation and burial. Yeah, nice little reverb effect there. Oh, that's a good one, man. Smoking or non-smoking. Could you imagine like having like having a really good sense of humor, but your job is a mortician? <laughs> no, seriously, think about it. Think about going to work every single day and you know that you're hilarious. That at like at any given time you could drop a bomb that would make an entire room just start crying because they're laughing so hard. But you are a mortician. I can't. That's almost like a Twilight Zone episode just waiting to happen, right? So anyway, uh, so it's for you guys, it's Friday. For me, it's Thursday. I, uh, in in case you did not understand why I didn't post a show up for uh, Thursday morning, it was because I was building a special day for my wife uh, uh, for Wednesday. So I couldn't record any things uh, to put up for Thursday. So that's why you didn't get anything on on Thursday. For that, I apologize. But, uh, dude, it, it, it had to be done. It, it it had to be done, and I was I was gleeful in being able to do things like make her a special dinner and and you know do the other stuff, do doing all the other stuff. It's worth it to make sure that the people that, that you love the most that are the closest to you in your life, uh, understand that, that you do love them and that they are close to you and that, you know, their, their existence is critical for your future. And that's why you guys didn't get a show. And I, again, I mean, I I do have to make my apologies, apologies to you, but if the, you know, when days like that come up, I will be doing it again and twice on Sunday should should the need arise because dude you can't do that to to the the people that are closest to you then you may not have anybody who's close to you and if you don't if you're a person that has nobody close to you go go find one people are really important those these uh formations that we have with each other are just as important as food now you can last like I think it's like it's the it's the number three rule. It's like three minutes without air, uh, three days without water, three weeks without food, three months without shelter, and I'll bet you my ass that three years without somebody to talk to, like anybody in any method, like literally in a cave, 
and not any technology, not no internet, no phone, no ability to get, you know, anything out and no other person there. I'll bet you within three years, you'd either be dead or so insane as to you might as well be dead. So those, these relationships that we form with each other are really important. Speaking of relationships, I'm going to be at Bitblock Boom this summer. I think it's the end of August. That's going to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I do not know what hotel I have. I, I literally just bought the damn ticket uh, like a month ago or a month and a half ago uh, and paid BTC to, for it too. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of Gary Leland for making damn sure that <laughs> that we were going, the, many people were just going to refuse to go unless we could pay a BTC because that's what we do. Um, so I'll be there and I plan on, uh, I'm looking forward to forging some, some relationships up there. Uh, and it's also the Dallas is really close to me. I can drive that son of a bitch in like five, somewhere between five and six hours, depending on, on the road conditions. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that, if I start going to conferences a lot, it's probably only going to be the conferences that I can drive to because really I just don't want to get on a plane. So if I'm not at stuff on Eastern seaboard, Western seaboard or Austria or whatever, it's not that I don't want to go hang out with you guys. It's that I don't love you enough to get on a plane because I could get there by train and it's across country. Maybe. Maybe I would do that, but other than that, I'm. Just, I think I'm just going to be hanging around the, the Texas, New Mexico, and and Colorado area. Uh, I would like to see a conference in Colorado, uh, by the way. So if anybody is up there in Colorado and wants to put on a conference, uh, let let me know. Let me know. Anyway, uh, have a great weekend. Love each other. Love your neighbor. Buy Bitcoin. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and. And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.